0: Welcome to Lost Levels Club. Welcome to Lost Levels Club. I have with me tonight Sir Michael. Hello. And myself. Tingothy. Hello. We are a book club for games. But not today. Today we are going to cover what we've been playing for Spring 2020 or Q1 2020. The Baldur's Gate 3... Gameplay reveal. And the Final Fantasy VII Remake demo. Mike, what have you been playing?
1: Do do you want a list or are we just going to go through them one by one? Let's do a quick list. So in addition to the usual suspects, like Slay the Spire, Control, I finally started it, Noita, Feria d'Arles, I've only seen it written down before, sorry, and Escape from Tarkov.
0: Wait, what have you been playing? I've been playing COD, Modern Warfare, and because Animal Crossing is coming, I started playing Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. (laughs) Wait, what? I wanted to know what the hype was, so I'm playing Pocket Camp.
1: For some reason, I seem to think Animal Crossing Pocket Camp is not available in Hong Kong. Oh, isn't it? But you're on the UK App Store, so it doesn't matter.
0: Yes. So, Mike, let's talk about Control.
1: Yeah, well, I mentioned I bought it in the Epic Store sale. And I intended to play it over Chinese New Year, but just, like, totally didn't play it. So, I finally made a start on it, just literally this week, actually. So, I've only played three or four hours so far. But it's really good. Well, is it really good? Is the gameplay really good? I don't know. The setting's really good. I really enjoy the setting and the world building. They're your priority. Well, I mean, before starting the game, what did I know about the game? You know, I had heard that it was like the SCP Wiki, which, you know, I've mentioned it a few times on this podcast. It's a internet creepypasta wiki you know people essentially write ghost stories but the framework of this wiki you know like the the shared universe of this wiki is about this institute that exists to contain anomalous objects as they call them so basically there are objects that exist that defy you know the rules of science as we know it And do just crazy stuff and this yeah organization exists to safely contain these objects and hide their existence from the world and yeah the stories are all creepy or they're horror stories you know they're they're all basically in the framework of describing this object and how it has to be contained or occasionally like transcripts or descriptions of events that happened that led up to it being contained or that it broke out and how they recontained it or something so that's the SCP wiki, and I had heard control was similar, and now, having played control, I can say, yes, control is really similar in setting, but the difference about control is it's not a bunch of random people from the internet coming together to make it you know it's a very coherent thing instead, and so although there have been games based on the SCP wiki, obviously the production values are not very high because they're very indie projects and the SCP wiki itself is like it's just all over the place you know there is like i think there's like political struggles even within this wiki like the different writers and the different editors and you know they're all their own personal agendas and so on so control is essentially the same kind of concept but it's a really coherent and unified take on the same general idea and I don't really want to say anything about the story because it's just so interesting. And I feel like anything would be a spoiler. But yeah, so I'm really enjoying it. It's surprisingly hard, actually, because unlike... Maybe it's not that hard. maybe may have just become rubbish. You know, like, I think most games these days just give you regenerating shields, essentially, and control <laughs> doesn't. And so there have been several times when I've, like, done something dumb and got shot and had really low health, and like being hiding behind a pillar, and waiting for my shields to regenerate, and then be like, oh yeah, they don't regenerate. And then I dash out to try and grab some health, and I just get shot and die. I died like four times on the first boss, in fact, embarrassingly.
0: I think you're just too aggressive. You like to shoot things in the face, rather than shoot them in the foot, or the toe, or the hand.
1: Yeah, you're you're definitely right there. In fact... Within the three or four hours that I played the game, I did get radically, radically better. Good. But at the time I encountered that first boss, yeah, I was way too aggressive. I just kept dying. I was like, but I want to shoot it in the face. And it was like, I'm the boss. I'm going to shoot you in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind. Let's move on. Let's. Noita. This is a game that Steam kept recommending to me. And I kept kind of looking at it and going, eh, I don't really see what it's
0: about. When I saw this recommended to me, I really thought of you immediately.
1: I I just, it just didn't really hook me from the screenshots I saw. And I don't often watch the video previews on Steam, to be honest. But what eventually made me try it out was YouTube suggested me a GDC video about the tech behind Noita. And then I was like, oh okay. And so I watched this GDC talk and I learned well, I learned several things actually. I learned a lot of things. But like so, first interesting thing was the company making it, NOLA Games, there's three devs, and one of them is the guy that made Baba Is You which was which really surprised me. I was like, "Oh, I didn't realize he was doing this as well." Like he's, you know, apparently Noiter has been in the works for years. And then the other thing is the hook of Noita, like the is, you know, is USP, unique selling point is imagine Terraria, but instead of being 2D blocks, it's particles.
0: We need to explain what Noita is now.
1: I, in what sense, the gameplay?
0: Yes. I watched a video and it looked like a roguelike with level-altering spells. Yeah, so
1: it, it's a roguelike game. It's, it's not like Terraria in that you're building a base and stuff, but you know, I, I describe it that way because Terraria is another game where when I played it many, many years ago, I was like, wow, I didn't think you could make such a huge tile-based world. You know, It kind of felt like... Imagine Super Mario Brothers, but instead of a level being, you know, like 10 or 20 screens long, it's like 2,000 screens long or 20,000 screens long or something, you know. So, and it was that kind of level of surprise again, where you've got a game world of a similar size to Terraria, except that instead of it being made out of blocks, it's like literally made out of dust, like individual particles. You can drill into things, you can set things on fire. You can like punch a tank full of liquid and the liquid will slosh out and spread across the landscape. It's like completely wild that it works and and it's not like on a small scale like it's it's really big like you you can literally you know like drain the ocean and it will work you know like you can punch a hole in the side of a lake and the whole lake will flow out so The video about the tech and how they did it was like really eye opening because it it made me really realize something I think I've heard Jonathan Blow say before, which is like computers are really fast. Don't bother optimizing stuff until you know you need to optimize it because you might spend loads of effort and it didn't make it any faster anyway because computers don't work quite the way your mental abstraction of how the computer works works, you know, like. But computers are really fast, like they didn't even have to do anything that clever to make this work. They literally just had the guts to write this insane particle simulation, and it works. In Unity? No, it's a custom engine. Like, it's, like, it's a custom engine, like, you know? It's not that crazy. Computers aren't that fast.
0: Then that would have Jonathan Blow's blessing. Yeah, it's got the seal of approval. No weird frameworks.
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, actually, again, something Jonathan Blow would approve of. The guy at the very start of the GDC talk is complaining about how long it takes for uh, you know Visual Studio to start up and compile this game. So you know maybe they'll rewrite the whole thing in Jai Yai Hi Jai. (laughs) But anyway, anyway. So the actual gameplay: you are a witch. And there's a whole procedurally generated world and it's never explained what you actually have to do. But effectively, you have to go down into the holy mountain. So there's different biomes and then like at the bottom of each biome, there's kind of like this ornate temple brickwork thing and a portal and you go into it and you you end up in like this kind of temple space where you get a breather, a health recharge, a spell refresher and you can buy new spells and wands and pick up a perk. And then when you leave like the it collapses behind you. And then you you dig deeper into the mountain until eventually you get to the end and fight a boss. Basically. You know and, and to say any more would be spoilers. But yeah, you know the mechanics of the game, the whole world is made of different materials, they all work the way you'd think they work so like liquids are fluid there's different kinds of rock with different hardnesses and depending on the spells you cast you may or may not be able to like break certain materials or burrow into certain materials you can do things like flash water into steam you can suffocate if you are underwater or even if you are in smoke for example and then yeah the whole Wands and spell system is procedural, so you can make really interesting wands by putting certain spells on, and their effects combining in you know expected or unexpected ways. How far have you gone? I have not managed to finish it. I have gotten, I think, to the second to last biome. So a a run can be very quick. If you're going to complete it? I I think there is an achievement for finishing it in under like three minutes or something. So like it can be really quick if you know what you're doing. But for me, it takes about an hour to die. (laughs) Like I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good at it. Because also, if you're really good at the game, it's not just about doing the normal ending. There's loads and loads and loads
0: of secrets, too. how are you getting stronger between runs you're not huh you just get you're just getting better at the game
1: actually i'm not sure if you can unlock certain spells or if it's just a guaranteed drop of the spell the first time you encounter it so there are these orbs of knowledge and The first time you pick up the Orb of Knowledge, it gives you a spell, like it's guaranteed to give you a certain spell. But the next time in your next playthrough you go to it, it will just be a health up instead. So I'm not sure if picking up that Orb of Knowledge unlocks that spell and makes it available in future runs, or if you could just get that spell anyway, like you might just find a wand with that spell on it. But, you know, it's just a guaranteed drop of that spell for the first time you pick up that orb. I actually actually don't know how that works. Okay, but there's no permanent upgrades. You know, it it's not a rogue light in that you are meta game getting stronger too. Like your meta character's is getting stronger. It's only just your personal skill and knowledge of the game that's making you stronger. Is it fun? Yeah, it's fun. It's hard though, or maybe I'm just bad. I think also a lot of it just depends on your luck or you know maybe when you get really good you make your own luck like you know how to use what you've been given but most of the time I'm pretty terrible and then there've just been a few runs where I've just happened to get given an amazing wand early on or a wand that I've figured out how to do some cheeky thing with and then I've got much further. Okay. So the next one on my list Feria de This is kind of a random left field one. I played this because it's made by someone I know. So, someone who goes to the Hong Kong Retro Game Lovers meetup made this game. And it's an old school point and click adventure game, you know, like the LucasArts point and click games in that kind of style. It's pretty short. I think I finished it in about an hour.
0: But you cheated?
1: But I I, cheated. Well, I think we've, again, said in the past how I feel about point-and-click adventure games. I'm like, spurious moon logic. What is this? I mean, (laughs) I can kind of... I can see the adventure game logic or, like, the cartoon logic or something in it. You know, it's not completely ludicrous. But, yeah, you know, it's adventure game tropes. I did like the final puzzle. I actually thought the final puzzle was very clever. And I figured that one out on my own But Yeah, there were several points in it Where I was just like This is not obvious to me at all what I do And then I went and looked up some hints And I was like, oh, maybe I do this And that turned out to be the answer Or there were a few times when I randomly just started Clicking on objects together And then two objects went together That I would never in a million years Have thought of putting together (laughs) Okay Still it was quite cute. So, I played that. Again, it's the sort of game where I feel like I can't really say anything about it because it'll be spoilers. But it's a charming, old-school point-and-click adventure made by someone I know. So,
0: One hour long? Is it episodic?
1: I think this is the only one. I don't know if they're going to do more episodes, if they're intending to make it more of a thing. But... Yeah, I don't know. I should. I actually really want to talk to them about it, but there haven't been any more <laughs> retro game meetups because of coronavirus, so I uh, haven't had a chance. But yeah, I'm really curious to know more, because I, I think, you know, this guy's got a day job as well, so this must have been a side project. And I think he did also commission people to do the art and the music, and he's been working on it for, I think, like, you know, more than a year. So yeah, I, I'd be interested to find out more just to just to know more about his process of having made an indie game and published it on Steam.
0: Finally, the big finally, one. yeah, the, big, the one. big one. So,
1: Escape from Tarkov. So, I've known about this game for a really long time, but I only started playing it just over a month ago.
0: Was this? Is this the one that's described as the Dark Souls of FPSs? <laughs> Oh, I mean, maybe, but <laughs> it's such a
1: it's such a reductive. You know, actually, I know. it's actually more apt than most Dark Souls comparisons. To be honest, it it there. Yeah, there are mechanics in it that do make it like the Dark Souls of FPSs. True. I mean, I think it actually came out at a similar kind of time as PUBG originally, but it's really blown up recently like its popularity has really skyrocketed recently yeah it's quite high on Twitch so I actually think I suggested that we should migrate from PUBG to this a long time ago but no one was keen but then funnily enough the people I suggested it to you know years ago all suggested we move to it from PUBG and I was like no I like PUBG now but (laughs) they all made the move And so I bought it and we played it together. And I was not having fun for a long time, I can tell you. Like, you know, how I described the game to begin with was 30 minutes of hiding in a cupboard, followed by 10 minutes of running away, and then 30 minutes of trying to fix your inventory. Like, inventory Tetris.
0: Which bit don't you like? (laughs)
1: Like,
0: (laughs) none of it. I don't like any of that. I think you like a bit of inventory Tetris, if I'm honest. I think you're okay, into you're right. that.
1: I do quite enjoy the inventory Tetris. People got triggered by my inventory because they could see me. They they could see my inventory on stream, and literally the people I was playing with were all like, "What have you done with your inventory? It's disgusting!" And I was like, "Look, I know where everything is. Like, no, sell that. Why are you keeping those?" And I was like, "Because I'm going to need them in the future." It's like, I just sell them. Are your inventory so triggering? <laughs> I did eventually sell them. And then I really needed them. And I was like, I told you guys, thanks a lot for ruining my quest log. (laughs) Regardless, yeah, the inventory Tetris is. I mean, like, everything in the game is just kind of offensive. Like, it is not respectful of your time at all. There's no way to sort your inventory, there's no way to search your inventory. There's no way to like quickly like highlight groups of objects and move them in infantry. You have to like grab individual objects and move them one by one. And everything takes up space. Like bullets take up space. Money takes up space. And things only stack up so far. And you end up with completely farcical situations like bags and bags and bags and bags. Like I've got like ten nested bags. And at the bottom of this, like, you know, I was gonna say Russian doll. I guess it is Russian, isn't it? Like set of nesting bags is, you know, a pair of headphones.
0: Headphones, sorry. Headphones?
1: Yeah, because you, you get, like, tactical headphones that, you know, like, again, like the, the game is really deep as well. So, like, the sound modelling is much better than most games of this type. So, you know, if you put on a helmet, it will affect how you hear sounds in the game. And so, there are certain kinds of helmet that really block out a lot of sounds. Or you can also put on, like, tactical headsets, which will cut out a lot of the ambient noise and amplify certain other sounds. So, like, it's easier for you to hear someone's footsteps, perhaps.
0: Okay. Nested bags. Is it... Do you see nested bags on yourself, and does it burden you when you do that?
1: Uh, this is in my inventory. So this is just the most efficient way to store bags because, you know... Oh, okay. Again, we'll get to it, but when you die you lose everything. And so, when you next want to go out on a run, well, you need some kind of backpack to store loot in. And so, like, when I get a good quality bag, I tend to keep it, and then I just put all my existing bags in that bag and then put that back in the corner of my inventory. So, I have a stack of, like, a dozen of these large bags in case I die, and then I'll just pull one off the stack and wear it. But, yeah, you know, the the game... Actually, I actually am really enjoying it now. Because we're not always hiding in a cupboard now. I think in the early few sessions, everything was just so overwhelming and confusing. Like, you know, there's no HUD. There's no, ma- well, okay, there is a HUD, but it's very minimal. You know, so by default, the HUD disappears unless you're in the middle of an action. And the HUD also doesn't tell you things like it doesn't tell you your health easily. You know, you can go into a separate image screen to look at it, but like, there's nothing like that on your HUD. It doesn't tell you how many bullets are in your gun. So literally, like, you'll fire some shots. You need to keep count of how many bullets are in the magazine. Or at some point, you'll pull the trigger and nothing will come out. And if your guns on full auto, good luck knowing how many bullets are in your magazine. Like, there's literally a separate command just to eject your mag and look at it, and it'll give you an estimate of how many bullets are left in the mag so you know you'll shoot a full auto burst and then you'll be in the clear again and you'll be like should i swap my mag should i not swap my mag and like if you want to change your magazine unless you've got room in your like tactical vest to store the partial mag you'll just drop it on the ground that ammo's gone well i suppose you could manually go and pick the magazine back up and then if you want to like reload that magazine you have to one by one push bullets back into the mag and then uh, yeah, I don't I didn't even know where to where to go with this like it's just so it's just so overwhelming Wait. like
0: you know well, how are the battles staged are you playing against humans NPCs or AI
1: yeah okay so there's two kinds of players and there are AIs as well so you can play as either a scav or a PMC and your character like your persistent character is your PMC I think it's like private military contractor and that is a persistent character they have skills they have a loadout you know you you equip them with stuff from your stash and then you can send them on a raid and when you're playing as your PMC you know you'll always start at the start of the raid so a raid might be like 35 40 something minutes it depends on the map and your pmc will always spawn at the start of that time period and will have missions to do or can go and loot stuff and then has to well actually either way whether you're scav or pmc you have to exit so unless you successfully get to your exit so you will be given a set of exits that you can use and you have to get to one of those exits before the time runs out or you become MIA and you lose everything. And of course if you're if you overextend yourself and you die, then you lose everything as well. So that's the PMC. Or you can play as a scav. So a scav is like a temporary throwaway character. You have no idea what you're going to be equipped with and your scav is on a cooldown, so you can only play as a scav once every 20 minutes. If you die as a scav, well, nothing lost but nothing gained because you know, you just got given a random loadout. But if you exit as a scav, you get one opportunity to transfer everything off that scav player's equipped inventory into your stash. So, playing as a scav is a good way to make money, safely.
0: Why do you say say one opportunity?
1: Because once you leave that inventory screen, that scav character is gone. You can never go back to that scav. Okay. But that also necessitates you having your inventory in a good state because you know and this is part of the half hour of inventory tetris because sometimes we did a scav run we survived and then i had like a backpack full of loot And i was like oh no how can i fit this loot into my inventory you know and they're like mike you should have sorted out your inventory first i was like yeah but i couldn't be bothered to do the inventory tetris and then and then we had to spend like 20 minutes of trying to sort out my inventory to get all the loot off my scav <laughs> sorry guys oh yeah and If you die, and I guess this is like the Dark Souls side, and also the complete disrespect for your time side, so if you die as your PMC, well, you can actually insure your gear. So, it's not necessarily gone forever. So, if you die as the PMC, well, provided no one else picked up your gear and exited with it, then your insurance will give your gear back to you. But, It doesn't come back straight away. 24 to 36 hours later, you will randomly get your insurance protected items back. And then you have, I think, three days to collect them or they're gone. From where? Oh, from the in-game mail. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. So basically, if you, like me, have a day job and you play this game on the weekend and then you die on the Saturday... Well, you're not going to get your inventory back until, like, the Monday, and then you have to remember to log in, especially to pick up your insurance during the week. Or, as happened to me numerous times the first few times we played, you die, your insurance pays out, but you forget to pick it up, so you may as well have not insured it. This makes it sound awful, but it is actually really fun once you get into it, because it is just so tense, you know? everything matters. Is is more so than PUBG. Like in PUBG you don't want to die because it's like battle royale, you want to last till the end. But in this it's also like all of your equipment and if you die then you have to heal up your character and then you have to worry about food and water and all these other things too. Like it's way more tense. And oh, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's just like you know, you when you see another player if you're playing as a PMC, basically everyone's going to try and kill you. If you're playing as a scav, well, the scav AIs won't try and kill you. So if you see another scav, then you have, the, you have to try and figure out, are they a player or are they an AI? And And there's so many funny stories as a result of this. Like, there was one time I was playing as a scav on my own, and I managed to loot some item that was worth like a quarter of a million rubles. Like, it was worth a lot of money. And then... You know, I was on my own. I was trying to get to my exit, and there's like this choke point on the map where you have to like cross a river. And so I was walking across the river and two other scav players, like I knew they were players, saw me crossing the river and I just walked past and didn't look at them as see if I was an AI, and I pushed the button to say my voice like, oh, cheeky-breaky or something, you know, to say some Russian voice line. And I think they must have just assumed I was an AI and didn't shoot me. And thus, I managed to exit and keep my quarter of a million ruble item. (laughs) (laughs) Or coming across like really well-geared players, like, you know, we came across some player where Actually, we didn't realise how geared they are because, you know, this game is really, really harsh. We saw someone. We all shot at them. And we basically all missed. But one guy in our squad who had a really, like, really beginner, like, you know, one of the first weapons you get, bolt-action rifle, happened to hit this guy in the neck. Like... (laughs) <laughs> he he just fired one shot and this guy went down and we went to loot the body and we discovered this guy had like crazy expensive gear he was carrying two guns each worth you know hundreds of thousands maybe even a million dollars backpack full of again like incredibly expensive gear like class five armor class five helmet with a visor and stuff but this bullet was just really lucky, and it managed to like slip through a gap in his armor and under the visor in his helmet and it just killed him in one shot so the the game is brutal like that but but then what's the looting etiquette uh, what's the <laughs> it's usually you keep what you kill, but we didn't realize at the time who'd actually fired the killing shot, so we all just descended on this guy like <laughs> vultures and started like taking everything, so I actually took the guy's armor and then. You know, like, as a testament for how good this guy's armor was, in a later raid, I was wearing the armor, and we came across another squad of players. So, you know, they all opened fire at me, and it was like that scene from Monty Python with the Black Knight. So my arms and legs were immediately destroyed, but, you know, my torso, which was protected by the armor, was completely fine. And then I had to crawl back into cover while my, you know, my squad suppressed them to heal myself back up. Do you still have that armor today? Uh no, because actually what happened is my squad got wiped and then they took the armor off my body afterwards. <laughs> it was really good armor, I'm sad. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, I guess another funny thing is like, you know, guns don't kill people, bullets do. So You know, the gun will affect things like the recoil or the rate of fire or the accuracy, but the damage is based on the bullet. And so, like, another thing that I didn't get early on, but that I know now is, you know, I was using a fully automatic weapon, but I was just putting any old ammo in that was cheap from the vendor. And yeah, you know, you could unload an entire clip into someone and if they had good armor, it literally would do nothing. And then after learning that, no, it's the bullet that matters, you know, I went back and I bought some really, really expensive ammo, like one magazine of this ammo cost more than the gun, but then you just fire two shots and they die, even when they're wearing really expensive armor, it turns out. So that was another hard lesson to learn. What about your friendly fire stories? Yeah. Okay. I think that's a good place to finish. So yeah, you know, as I said, there's no hard markers or anything. So literally the only way to know if someone is friend or foe is to... Shoot them. <laughs> yeah, shoot them and sort it out later. Well, it's pretty much it's disturbingly what we seem to do a lot, actually. You know, like, you've got to keep track of who your friends are. Because if you lose sight of them, it's really easy to shoot your friends. So I think... The start of this friendly fire debacle was when we're playing playing as scavs. So, you know, I think it doesn't really matter. But someone was shooting at us and it was really scary and we tried to flank them. And so, yeah, you know, it was really tense and my pulse was pounding and I was trying to like creep around these shelves to... Get the drop on this enemy, and then I saw someone, and I shot them, and oh, whoops! It was my friend. And then he he pointed out afterwards in the clip, you know, because we we clipped it and watched it back. He was like, "You could see me the whole time. You knew it was me." And I was like, "I'm sorry. I really didn't know it was you." So, yeah, you know, he was quite annoyed with me after that. But then he killed me twice as a PMC. So then I felt I had the moral high ground again, you know. So like one time I was. Trying to be quiet and not make noise to alert enemies of our presence. And I crept around a rock and he saw me and panicked and just shot me in the face. And then another time, I was like, I'm standing next to this guy. Wait, someone just ran past. Is that one of you guys? No, it's none of us. I was like, okay, it must be the enemy. And then he says, Oh, I think I see them. And I was like, okay, shoot them. And then he shot and it was me. <laughs> but in his defense, when you watch the replay from his perspective, it really actually looks like someone runs past and it just, ha- it just so happens that the last place he shoots because he thinks that's where they ran to happened to be where I was standing. It was very unlucky. And I guess it just goes to show how chaotic it is because we were a full squad that time, five people. And I think two people literally ran past our squad and we didn't shoot them because we weren't sure whether they were part of our squad or not.
0: But the, the the outfits aren't aren't identifying you?
1: We started trying to wear armbands after a while, because you can buy armbands. But to be honest, it doesn't really help very much. Because, you know, in the heat of the moment, are you really going to notice if someone's wearing an armband on one of their
0: arms? If you're worried about friendly fire, you might.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think, I think by the time you've paused long enough to check if they've got the armband on, you're going to be dead if it's an enemy. Well, actually, there was... <laughs> This reminds me. There was another really funny time when literally some guy shot us for like ten seconds, and we didn't shoot him because we thought it was friendly fire. we were like, Dan, Dan, stop shooting me! Dan, he's like, What? He'd stop shooting me? He's like, What? Is that not you? He's like, No, I thought that was you. No, go, okay, bang, and then we shot the gun. But like, <laughs> we literally just like let this guy shoot us because we thought we thought it was someone on our team. This makes this game sound terrible, but it's it's surprisingly fun. It's surprisingly fun once you get over the hump of how terrible it is. (laughs) There's nothing quite like it. It's like games used to be. And each session takes hours. Yeah, I mean, a particular raid is about 30 to 40 minutes. Although in Hong Kong, you might have to queue for 15 minutes to get a server spot on the weekend. Because there's just like no servers here
0: if you're playing with friends in the u s then you can queue instantly as long as you're happy with two hundred milliseconds latency and you are
1: yeah, I'm trash anyway, no, usually <laughs> you you know I think if you see the person first, you can shoot them, and the two hundred milliseconds doesn't matter, and if you don't see them first, well they're probably going to kill you instantly anyway, so what does it matter? Do you have anything to say about modern warfare?
0: I do. I do a little bit. This is my first exposure to Battle Passes. Have you bought a Battle Pass in your lifetime? No. I get it. It's better. I I like the content drops. Even if you're like on the free tier, it still freshens things up and you'll go again. Wait, have you
1: bought the Battle Pass? No,
0: but you get the free tiers. (laughs) Okay, I... I've had
1: the free tier of plenty of battle passes,
0: yeah, yeah, well, but you know what I meant. I, I meant the you paying for it rather than just experiencing it, yeah, okay, but you're not tempted to buy it uh, sometimes because there are XP boosts, and sometimes I think my time could be better spent <laughs> if I got a boost, and I'm paying to win. That's what being a grown-up is all about. Yeah, that's all I had to say. I like I like how they've done it. I like having new content dropped every so often. I like it being freshened up. It's the way forward. Even if I can't do a hundred, you know, the expectation is you're meant to complete hundred levels in sixty days, which is madness.
1: Sixty days.
0: Uh, yeah, I think the season is over two months.
1: Yeah, that doesn't seem very long. It's probably a really long time if you're a teenager.
0: Or a student, or something, and could just play every day. It's designed in such a way. If you complete the full battle part, you get the next one free. And they don't. I guess they don't want you to do that. Interesting. Anyway, I want to talk. I do want to talk about Pocket Camp. Have you played any free to play games? (laughs) You know, none really spring to mind. I
1: I played Tiny Death Star, which was really dumb i don't know why i was
0: playing that game but you've experienced uh, a game full of timers it's sort of like a timer hellscape oh. yes i mean that's literally what tiny death
1: star was and because i'd never encountered it before i had no defense against it there was literally the first time i'd played one of these timer hell mini games and i was just constantly like opening it up and tapping on timers and stuff yes i i had no defenses because i'd never encountered one before hadn't developed, like, mental antibodies for
0: it. It's crazy how you can put timers on anything. It makes me sad. That's what I learned. So I don't know how Animal Crossing really works in its vanilla form. In Pocket Camp, I can shake a tree for three apples, and I know that the tree will refresh in three hours' time to, for me to shake it again so I can give it to my birdie friend. <laughs> oh, and I, It's charming, but... I, it makes me feel stupid inside. I'm actually, yeah, I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, does anyone
1: win with microtransaction games? I, I feel like, you know, the only winning move is not to play.
0: Yeah, it's just so disrespectful. Although we've spent twenty minutes talking about Tarkov, which totally doesn't respect your time, yet you love it. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's true. <laughs> sometimes, maybe sometimes you want to be disrespected. Is this is this like a fetish? <laughs>
0: Like, oh, make me wait three hours.
1: Yeah, give me those apples. Now make me wait again.
0: I'll enjoy it more. The more I wait, the more I'll enjoy it. I think the sad thing is that when Animal Crossing does come around, I'm not going to even bother trying to play it. What?
1: Okay, so you're not getting... I've already forgotten what it's called.
0: The new Animal Crossing game. <laughs> Same here. I keep thinking... I keep thinking it's... <laughs> animal crossing event horizon <laughs> but it's, it, can't be. it can't be that it can't be that you've, you've seen too many of the doom animal
1: crossing crossovers <laughs> that's that's your problem you're just seeing you're seeing Isabel and power armor like murderizing demons and that's where you're getting this from <laughs> that
0: fan art is so cute though <laughs> i'm trying to i'm just trying to buy us some time so we can some one of us can pluck the the title out of thin air
1: No, you know, let's just move on.
0: So let's talk about Borderlands Gate Three, not Borderlands Gate Two, but Borderlands Gate Three.
1: <laughs>
0: Why? <laughs> Why bordergate Gate Two? Because I'm yeah. always because I'm, I'm, I'm still playing Borderlands Gate Two.
1: <laughs> Wait, you have? We need to have a talk, young man. Okay, I thought I thought you'd have finally finished it by now. There's but, a
0: deadline now.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think you've got a while because you know, jumping ahead a bit, this is going to be early access. But at the end of the year. And also, I don't think we should play it in Early Access. I would I would just wait.
0: So you didn't play any of the original Sin games in Early Access? No. I mean, I did back them on Kickstarter, but I didn't play them in Early Access. The impression I got was that Early Access just means the first chapter, first, first chapter, yeah. Well, you
1: know, ideally, yes. But I'm sure they will tune things up or break things or change things so you might end up rehashing that first bit of the game and playing it several times and i'd rather just come at it fresh you know like i have more time to play games than you but even i don't have that much time like i don't think i would want to play the first section of a game multiple times necessarily
0: you're an early accessor. am i you play games in early access Rarely. Okay, technically Tarkov and Noita are both early access, but... Thank you. And when you wait, you never play it. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. When I wait, I I wait forever. It's
1: true, so... But we're going to be too busy with cyberpunk at the end of the year, right? Yes. Lol. Anyway, we saw Baldur's Gate 3 gameplay... It was revealed to the public at PAX. It was a live demo session and basically everything went wrong. It was actually kind of hilarious how much stuff went wrong. Not with the game, necessarily. Well, quite a lot with the game as well. Yeah, things went wrong both with the game and then with the actual playing of the game too. So, you know, like Sven, the... Is he like the head of larian studios yeah he is yeah yeah he he was doing the demo he was playing the game live in front of people and yeah it it wasn't some like pre-recorded pre-scripted thing he was like literally playing it live and he said the save game system is broken in this build so let's hope we don't die or i'll have to start again and then he then died <laughs> you know like the the first combat they went into was actually really hilarious because it was a succession of like, oh, we just have to do this and then he missed. Or oh, we can just do this as a backup and then he missed. And then things were going really badly and he managed to pull it back for a moment by throwing his boots <laughs> at an enemy and killing it with the blunt damage of throwing his boots at them. <laughs> and then there was just like one left. He was like, okay, we just need to do this and we'll be fine. Critical miss. And then he
0: died.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then they had to start again. And to be honest, several other things like that happened during the demo. And they ran out of time. And then to top it all off, literally he was hoping to rush ahead and show some last little bit. But then the game glitched out and kept going in and out of combat. Going boom, 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 boom. As it was like switching in and out of combat mode. (laughs) And he was like, well, I guess that's it. (laughs) but it was good It, it was still actually an exciting and cool demo i mean i did i did the thing they say you should never do which is i read the comments so i think i watched the video on a recording of an ign live stream and so it had like a live replay of the comments and i was just like reading this comment scrolling past going you know like turn-based equals no-sale or boomer's gate or something. It was like really farcical. I was just like, what? Because it's turn-based combat. And I guess a lot of people were expecting the active pause system from Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2. But, yeah, you know, in a development that probably shouldn't have shocked anybody, they've basically built this on top of the Divinity Original Sin engine mechanics so it's turn-based and it looks and feels a lot like divinity original sin just with a dungeons and dragons setting
0: so it's fifth edition D rules yep and there's a dice roll behind everything well you know there's there's always been a dice
1: roll behind everything in in Baldur's gate it's just you never saw it you, you could mm. In Baldur's Gate 2 you could turn that on actually and it would literally show you all the dice rolls in the combat log. And in, in this is much more obvious as well because there will be times when it will literally show a dice on screen and you click it to roll.
0: But Divinity didn't do dices or die.
1: I mean it, it had some sort of probability system but I don't know if it was modelled on a D20 versus just, you know, like a Rand 100.
0: So highlights... Well, interesting features very vertical
1: yeah there was a cool bit where you know they show that you've basically climbed to the top of this big kind of tower, castle facade or something and you can cast featherfall on yourself and jump off it so just like showing how tall the map is which is obviously something you didn't get at all in the original Baldur's Gate games because they were just like pre-rendered images
0: but you can miss jumps
1: well, yeah, and there was a lot of this jump mechanic. Like they were always seem to be jumping everywhere. Actually, and the jump was like really theatrical. It was like, <laughs> like it was like the Barbarian's Hulk. leap ability in uh, oh, in, know, in Diablo, can't... but yeah, or like the Hulk. It's true. Like whoa, boom! You know, even even when it's supposed to be like a mage who's like not exactly hulking, he's just like Hulk jumping into this hole. <laughs> yeah, you know, there was a cool bit actually where they showed you know because they they got. A, again just showcasing the incredibly bad luck he he tried to do a, per- a perception check to find a switch and he failed it and he was like oh now i need to bring another party member here to try and try the perception check again and so you know so he knew a shortcut there and that was actually quite cool so he, he you know he he got his mage and he the mage cast a fireball to knock down this like archway and the archway like crashed through the ground and then he then did the jump into the hole and that like cut out some of the map but then he was saying if i'd done this earlier all of the enemies would actually have swarmed around that room to figure out what the sound was and you can um stack boxes yeah so i think you could do this in divinity original sin as well but he he showed you know you can make a staircase out of boxes basically although I don't think he actually did it at the point in the demo he was originally planning to do it in. He just like randomly grabbed some boxes to make a staircase just to show you could do it. And then he misclicked and stabbed his party member in the face with a rapier. And he was like, "Oh!" Like, uh, was he drunk or jet-lagged or something? Like, he misclicked a lot in this demo with hilarious consequences. And then, and then I think in the Q&A at the end, they were like, so... Should Shadowheart have reacted when you stabbed her in the face? And he was like, yes, yes, you should have. But that system's not implemented yet. Another cool thing I saw them do a couple of times was dip their weapon in fire. So there seems to be a command, just a standard action you can do called dip, which I don't know if you could do this in Divinity Original Sin. I mean, it's something you can do in NetHack certainly which is another one of those games where you know like the devs have thought of everything there's a lot of emergent stuff so in this they showed him you know dip the bow in fire and then the next arrow he shoots was like a flaming arrow and he could use that to like detonate explosive barrels so it is another thing where you could see there are a lot of possibilities for how you could use that or not use it you know it's just it's just more options more interesting stuff that could happen
0: there's one thing i wanted to mention and that's the vampire what did you think of this
1: i i don't know how to feel about that like i can't quite imagine how it's going to play out which you know to be honest the fact that i can't see how it's going to play out is probably a good thing you know i've never played as a vampire before in baldurs gate so yeah how is how is that going to work You know, with feeding on your party members. You surely can't be feeding on them all the time. Or are your party members okay with this? Or do they just get used to it after a while? They're like, oh yeah, go on. Are they not conscious of it? Well, that's the thing. Like, How long can you hide it from them? (laughs) Yeah. So I think it's interesting. If only because I can't quite see how it's going to play out. But it looks like you can only have four, a party of four. But you know, that's enough. are you just going to be burning three party members as you accidentally like <laughs> drink them to death, and then you're like, "Well, I guess I need another mage now." Yeah, I mean, I, it's a really promising start. It really, I mean, it really looks like Divinity Original Sin, though. That's that's the thing, you know. It looks much more like Divinity Original Sin two than Baldur's Gate two. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, just because if it looked like Baldur's Gate 2, some people would be like, yay, we got the Baldur's Gate 3 we always wanted. And then most people just wouldn't buy it. Like the world has moved on. And I think, like, being obsessive about some purity of vision of like, oh, no, we want it to be like the old games, like really like the old games, is just the wrong thing to do as well, because, you know, those games. Were that way because of the technical constraints of the time. And we don't have those constraints anymore. You know, if they had had the computing horsepower and storage that we have today when they made Baldur's Gate, I don't think Baldur's Gate would have been like it was. I think Baldur's Gate would have looked more like this, you know? So, although actually, one thing I am worried about is whether the pressures of like modern game development or the requirements of the the, the audience expectations of a modern game are going to make it less than Baldur's Gate 2 in a way because when everything was text text is cheap you know like you could, you, you can turn out more text you want to change the story fine just change the text story's changed there are they said what hundreds thousands of voice lines in this for different situations, different readings, different character interactions you need to really have that story locked down to be able to record all those voice lines. You can't change it and you call, so it probably can't be too ambitious in how branching the story can be
0: You can splice the lines together <laughs> Like we like do for like this do every week. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah <laughs> If they remade Borders 2 it would be a lot like a Divinity Original Sin, I feel.
1: Yeah, if you were if you were really to remake it,
0: rather than just
1: the remasters that we got. Yes. Well, I mean, actually, that's it's an interesting point to take because we're going to talk about a remake in a minute. But yeah.
0: So let's talk about that remake.
1: So you turned your PS4 on? I did. I turned on my PS4. I think it was on, like, OS version 6. I have to update it to, like, version 9 or something. Like, I really think I hadn't turned it on for a year.
0: So you spent most of yesterday doing that?
1: Luckily, because I still was paying for a PSN Plus subscription that whole time, it had already downloaded the latest OS update and so it literally just like turned on and then updated itself but yeah the controller was dead it had zero battery i had to plug in the controller with a wire to charge it up while it was updating and downloading and then i downloaded the final fantasy 7 remake demo and started up and it was all in chinese and i was like oh whoops and then i went back onto the store to look for the english version and i literally couldn't find it And I actually had to go to my PC and use the web interface for the PSN store to be able to find the English and Japanese version of the demo and then add it to my download queue. But yeah, I got it in the end and I played the demo. You downloaded the demo but didn't play it,
0: right? Yes, I downloaded the demo but I didn't play it in the end.
1: It's only an hour long, man.
0: Yeah, but then I thought I should really play Pokemon Sword and Shield. Yeah, okay, you should do that. Fine, you're absolved. Well, the demo is
1: incredible. Like, it's probably just nostalgia, but it really feels like Final Fantasy 7. Like, it made me feel the same way as I did when I played this first Maker Reactor, you know, destroy the Maker Reactor mission in Final Fantasy VII for the first time in 1997, kind of thing, you know, like I felt the same way playing this demo, which is pretty amazing that it did that, and yeah, I, you know, it looks the way I imagined Midgar to look, you know, when you were watching the 20 polygon version of cloud and thinking like, Oh, what, what, what is this meant to be like? You know, what is this abstraction of a person meant to represent? Well, in my imagination, it was something like this. And so like seeing this, you know, I don't have to use my imagination anymore. We've got technology. It was, it was amazing. I mean, There was some funny stuff. Like at the start, it says, choose your difficulty. So the default is obviously normal. And then there's easy. And I saw this one called Classic, and I was thinking, oh, Classic, so that's going to be hard. But Classic is actually super easy, it turns out, (laughs) which is kind of weird. So in Classic, it just does all the real-time combat for you, and you can just choose menu options every now and then when you feel like it to try and emulate the feel of the classic
0: turn-based games. Well, wait, so Classic means turn-based versus real-time combat? Well, no, because...
1: Classic just means the game plays all the real time combat for you, and you just enter menu options when you feel like it. But chances are, if you don't enter any menu options, Cloud will just win. I don't know. I didn't actually try it, but I was surprised. It basically said that in classic mode, it's trying to emulate the turn based feel of the old games, but the difficulty is the same as easy. So that, that was a surprise to me. But I played it on normal. And yeah, everything is beautiful. I, I also made this random comment. Cloud looks like Eddie Redmayne. Maybe, maybe it's just... Yes. <laughs> does he really look like Eddie Redmayne? I don't know. For a moment, I thought he did. And I just wrote this comment down in the notes. It's so random.
0: It's an important comment.
1: Yeah, I think maybe because he's just got like some minor freckles or something. I don't know. But <laughs> but that scene that scene when he's on the train... And you get the close up of his face, and then he does like you know, the front flip off the train, so cool. And then yeah, immediately, combat with the uh, Shinra guards, and you know it just it just happens. There's no like battle scene transition. It's just immediately boom, real time combat, push square to swing your sword, and it's really fast and really exciting, and totally different from the turn-based final fantasy combat but strangely really appropriate like it, it really captures the feel of it the same way that it did in the old game because like, i i'm pretty sure again maybe my memory's just playing tricks on me but i'm pretty sure in that first section of the game on the assault on the reactor like the battle music i think doesn't change for those first few battles it's playing like the dramatic music of you jumping off the train and you go into the battle and it's still that train music as you fight and so it kind of feels the same way here where you go straight into a battle but instead of it being a transition people are just shooting at you and you're just like chopping them up with your sword and then it explains the mechanics to you you know you've as you fight you will fill up this atb gauge and you can spend you know chunks of this gauge to do actions like use an item or cast a spell so that's kind of how they fused the two systems and it seems to work really well the the combat is much more fun than the last turn-based one i played which was final fantasy 13 and also much more fun than the real-time combat in final fantasy 15 like final fantasy 15 i did not understand that combat system at all like i went through the tutorials but the whole thing just seemed really confusing and i never really understood what i was doing whereas this it's really clear what you're doing I mean, it can be really confusing and overwhelming sometimes just because there's so much stuff going on but it's very straightforward you know it's not mentally difficult to comprehend what all the buttons do it's just that there's a lot of stuff happening but anytime you want you can just you know hit the menu button and it'll go into kind of like bullet time slow down and you can get your bearings and choose an item from the menu or you can just use it just have a break i guess and think a bit
0: do you control your your party so
1: yes and no i mean. You control Cloud, but once you have people in your party, you can switch between them. So once Barrett joins your party, you can push left or right on the D-pad, and you will switch control to Barrett. So you can either play as Cloud for the real-time sword swinging and just issue commands to Barrett when you want him to use an item or a spell, or you can literally switch control to Barrett, and then you're using his like gatling gun arm instead, and and he's got slightly different combat mechanics so as cloud you can swing your sword or you can push triangle and switch into this different mode where your attacks are much more damaging but you can't dodge or if you dodge you switch back to the you know the fast mode instead and as barrett instead of swinging your sword obviously you're just like continuously firing your gun and if you push triangle then rather than doing a mode switch, you literally just, like, fire a few big, like, charged up bursts from your gun instead. And then that ability recharges over time. Or I think you can actually hammer the triangle button to charge it up faster, which is an interesting mechanic.
0: So the combat was fun?
1: Yeah, the combat was really fun. Like, I genuinely felt, like, excitement when swinging the sword around. And then when I realized you could push triangle and switch to this other mode, and then just, like, you know, you just causing absolute havoc and were like crazy swinging sword arcs and like back flipping around and chopping stuff up it was it was actually really cool like it was really really cool actually another funny observation i wrote was this game is truer to boulder's gate 2 than Baldur's gate 3 because it's literally got like the the uh real time with active pause battle system but that's just a funny uh a funny contrast Yeah, but it it, it was really fun to play. I mean, some things I didn't enjoy. Like, there's a random section in the demo where there are, like, these laser grids and you have to, like, time walking through them or running through them. And, like, I just felt this was, like, this is, like, so lazy. This is just, like, such a gaming trope. And I was, like, why would you have, like, crappy laser grids that flicker on and off really theatrically in your power plant? Like... These serve no purpose other than to have some, like, really derivative (laughs) wait-for-the-laser-grid gameplay. So I thought that was completely pointless. But then I guess they felt that they needed something to break up the walk here, fight some enemies, walk here, fight some enemies.
0: Did you find that a bit hard? I... I (laughs)
1: i was impatient i just kept running into the face planting into the grid i was just like oh it's turning off run through it brrr. it's like oh okay i okay. guess so it's just flickering not turning off okay good now go brrr. it's like oh geez for goodness sake but it is it is <laughs> so little damage anyway that was the other thing that made it feel so pointless because i think cloud had like a thousand something health and like running into the laser grid like he staggers backwards but only did like eight damage and i was just like i'm just gonna keep face planting into this till i go through it i don't care." <laughs> Sorry.
0: I kind of feel that explains the comment. Yeah, but it—I it,
1: don't—I just—I don't know how to like just say how amazed I am that they've managed to really capture Final Fantasy VII and bring it up to you know current gen gaming standards because there's a lot of really bizarre stuff in the early Final Fantasy games. Like, you know, obviously, you know, the more recent ones, they knew they were going to do the super high poly stuff. So they all look like really cool, fancy creatures or whatever. But, you know, at the time of Final Fantasy 7 and obviously the early ones, too, they just had really weird creatures because. Because they were so low poly or because it was all kind of like cartoony or abstract. And so I think I think like the guard dogs have like their tail coming out of their head or something instead of out their butt and there's this weird kind of mech they call a sweeper which is like really cartoony but here they are in Final Fantasy 7 Remake and they look really good like the guard dog just it's just some weird dog but it like moves really convincingly you know it's like if a dog's tail came out of its head this is how it would move yeah it's totally believable And and the mech even though it's kind of this weird cartoony mech looks completely like it belongs there Somehow. So they did a great job there. How about the voices? Oh, Cloud is so emo. So funny. Like, I was like, all right, Merc, earn your keep. You know, like, he's like this big, gruff. He, he looks like he should be the Merc, right? Like, he, he really looks like serious business. He's wearing, he, uh, you know, he's got a freaking gun for an arm. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Cloud kind of looks like a cosplayer. He's so svelte, you know. He's not like this big, muscly dude. He's really, he's really very waif-like almost, and he's just waving around this massive sword. And yeah, he's just so emo. He, he's like. You know what? I can't even remember any of his voice lines, only that he delivered them in the most emo way. Like I should have written down the voice line that made me think this, but instead I literally just wrote so emo exclamation
0: mark exclamation mark exclamation mark.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he's he's just The, the thing is, this is exactly what cloud is meant to be like. You know, in the concept artwork, this is what Cloud looked like. And Cloud's dialogue in the original game really was super emo. Like, you know, Barrett was always saying to Cloud, like, why do you have to say it in such a lame way? You know, can't you be cool for a change? Like, he is just like this weird, kind of whiny person, (laughs) almost. But yeah, again, I think it's exactly like he was in my imagination. You know, they really captured it well. And. You know, unlike what I was saying about Baldur's Gate three, they don't have to worry about any divergence here. You know, they're literally telling you a very specific story, and you're just along for the ride. I I almost feel like you could argue that it it doesn't even need to be a game. It's just like more of an experience, which is maybe what easy mode or classic mode are actually about. Because I think. In FF Seven, the original, you know, with the turn-based combat, there is some, well, unless you grind and become really overpowered, and then you're just mashing the button. You know, there's some element of strategy, like, oh, what element is it weak to, or, you know, is going to cost me this? I have to put a barrier up or something. I mean, I know this is right at the start of the game, so maybe more of this is going to come in, but I really just mashed the button a lot, actually, because it was just so overwhelming. Like the fight against the first boss. I think they call it Scorpion Sentinel in this. I think it was God Scorpion in the original. But yeah, it's this big scorpion mech that shoots a laser from its tail. And I knew what the strategy should be. But I mostly just ran up and mashed the heavy attack button at it. And then just constantly was chugging potions. But it was so cool. Again, it was such a visual fiesta. There's like so much stuff happening. Like in you know, in the battle, it's jumping onto the walls and then like lasering down girders to try and crush you, or going to the different phase of the battle and starts launching missiles everywhere, or it puts up a shield and you have to like get behind it and disable the shield so you can damage it again. But you weren't doing this. No, I was doing this. It's all real time. I was like running behind it and like dodging lasers and then chopping out the shield generator and stuff. Like it was really exciting. Like I, I really felt really ham fisted. Like you know, maybe, maybe this is going to be like I was saying earlier on about control. Like maybe as the game goes on, I would develop a lot more finesse. But at the moment, at the moment, I was just like tanking hits with my face like you know okay. I ran in and I was chopping at it with a heavy attack button and then I, I could see it saying you know like mag pulse or something I was like how is it going to do and then like this big electromagnetic explosion goes off and I take like 300 damage I was like oh whoops I probably should have dodged that you know but I wasn't paying attention to the visual cues that it was about to do some big move and so on like yeah I was definitely not tuned into it but it was still fun and exciting just to watch the spectacle unfold Although something very confusing, actually, so it could just be that I've forgotten the plot of the game after so many years. But my recollection of the game is that you plant the bomb, you defeat Guard Scorpion and escape, and then it blows up the reactor. But in this, the bomb goes off, does f all, and then the Shinra president gives some you know context laden look to a subordinate who pushes a button. And then they blow up their own reactor. So that's not what I remember happening. I don't know if they're going to change the story or radically flesh out the story in some way. It's, it's quite possible that they're going to give a lot more behind the scenes or, or really expand the story. Ho- hopefully in a way that's good and not in a way that's really dumb. Because I I know this is just part one of the remake, which is... Up to where you leave Midgar. And. I don't remember how many hours into Final Fantasy 7 that is. But. I don't think the game would be that long. If it just stuck to the original. FF7 story. Although to be honest. It might still be like 15 to 20 hours. Which I would have thought was plenty. Personally.
0: That's what I've heard.
1: Anyway. Similar to my comments about. Baldur's Gate 3 just now. I'm not sure if anyone actually is complaining that they wanted a turn-based Final Fantasy 7. Although, was I saying that at some point? Like, I might, I might well have been. But, what's important about the Final Fantasy games, you know, I, I do think we have lost something by not having these turn-based, more tactical games anymore. But, you know, the experience of the story, I think, is a really big part of it. And I think this new remake is probably, in many ways, a better way for people to experience the story. So for people who played it the first time, they'll have all the nostalgia. But for people who are coming at it completely new, well, this is a much more pleasant way for them to get the story than the 20-polygon version of Cloud. And, you know, again, I'm sure if Square Enix had had the technical power that they do today, when they made the original Final Fantasy VII, that original Final Fantasy VII would have looked a lot more like this than what we got on the PS1. So I think you could make an argument that this is arguably truer to the vision of the story of Final Fantasy VII. Anyway. To
0: close, you're more hyped than before?
1: Yeah, I think I'm more hyped than before. Because I was really like... Am I going to play it? Am I not going to play it? There's so many other things to play. But, you know, now I've turned on the PS4 again, so. <laughs> I have no idea I'm going to make space for it. Actually, I deleted Destiny 2. So. That'll do it. No, I don't think it will do it. I heard it's going to be 100 gigs.
0: Oh. <laughs> you can always delete Red Dead. I know that's installed for sure.
1: Oh, yeah, but it, it just seems like giving up. Yeah, you know. It's been a year we not playing it and maybe I should give
0: up. <laughs> <laughs> so it might just be the book club game. You're right. It might be. Let's see. Actually, wait.
1: when exactly is it out?
0: April 10th?
1: Yeah, we'll have to see how the timing works out. Because it definitely can't just be the April book club game if it comes out on April 10th. Like... Unless we really mainline that game, we're not going (laughs) to finish it by April. So It's at least a two-parter, or we might try and fit a small game in between. Mm. Okay, we'll make the call after
0: Sword and Shield. We were Lost Levels Club. We still are Lost Levels Club. Please rate and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please, please, please. You can find us on email. Mike
1: dot and dot ting at lostlevels dot club
0: And Twitter
1: At Lost Levels Club On Twitch As Lost Levels Club Anywhere else Reddit slash R slash Lost Levels Club That's it That is it
0: What are you grateful for Sir Mike?
1: Oh, I really should plan ahead for these like, you know, I know it's coming every week, and then I'm always like, "Oh yeah, what am I grateful for?" Okay. Perversely, I am grateful that my flights were cancelled. Like, I had, I had a holiday booked. As, you know, you're going to say you're always on holiday. I'm always on holiday. Yeah, I had flights booked to Vietnam that I had booked before Christmas last year, but then all this coronavirus stuff happened, and the person that i was going to go with was like I-, I don't think i can go i have flu and i was like wait what? regular flu or wuhan flu and they were like i think it's regular flu but it could also be like liver damage and i was like wait what <laughs> <laughs> anyway that's a whole other story but long story short was not going to vietnam because of a coronavirus and b the other person being sick so i was thinking uh oh, i'm just going to i'm just going to lose the money for these tickets but then luckily the airline cancelled the flights because of coronavirus and so i got the money back score yay so michael says bye bye bye